Today's scripture reading is Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you, great to be with you. What a privilege it is to gather together to open God's word. Um, So I'm glad that we get to do that together with one another. Now, I want you to imagine with me, if you will, uh, a world in which people don't always disagree, or they don't always get along, where, where disagreements and differences abound, and it seems like even the slightest thing can become contentious where if, if you say the wrong buzzword, uh, you'll get labeled a certain way, or if, if people suspect that you might dare to have an opinion that's different than theirs, you could get canceled. Now, if you are having to think too hard about this world, you're doing it wrong. Because obviously, this is the world that we live in. And, and uh, sometimes, it, it seems like as time goes on, this, it seems things just seem to be getting worse and worse. And unfortunately, this is also sometimes true in the church. Now, I'll just speak for myself. This has been a difficult year for, for many different reasons, and not least of which is the fact that um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's been hard to navigate life in the church this year, uh, um, among many other years, but especially this year, with all of the things that we've had to face. We've had to make decisions that we've never had to make before, and it's been difficult to navigate those things, and especially when everybody has an opinion on, these, such, on such controversial things, including myself. I have my own opinions. And I, I would imagine that um, there have been decisions that uh, some of us, that probably all of us, have not always agreed with all of the decisions that we have made, including myself. And, and so I just, as an aside, I want to take a second just to, thank, to, just to thank you all here because you've stuck with us through, these, through this difficult year and through some of these difficult um, decisions that, that, that have been really hard to make. So thank you for your graciousness with that. But as disagreements in a church can get more pronounced, they can, they can lead and they can begin to approach a breaking point. I saw an article just earlier this week about one very prominent denomination in our country that is going through a difficult time and they are disagreeing with one another. This is a group, a denomination, who all holds to the same statement of faith. They all believe the same things and yet they're in the midst of ugly disagreements with one another. And one person reflecting on this situation asked the sobering question, how do they tell the outside world about the love of Jesus if they can't stand one another? I don't know about you, but I, I kind of feel that <laughs> like a punch in the gut. That question 
hits too close to home. But disagreements within the church have been going on for as long as the church has been around. They happened in the Apostle Paul's day and in the church he planted in Philippi. And Paul addressed it because he knew that the church's ability to work through their disagreements would, would affect their ability to influence their community and world for Jesus Christ. And so here's what Paul wanted the Philippians to know. You ready for it? Here's what he wanted them to know. Our gospel equips us to work through disagreement. Our gospel equips us to work through disagreement. So, if you haven't already opened up to Philippians 4, I invite you to meet me there. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. Now, up to this point in the book of Philippians, Paul has given the church a personal update on his own situation, and he has encouraged them with general instructions on how to follow Christ and how to stand firm. And as he has given these instructions, you might have sensed that perhaps he is leading somewhere a little bit more specific. And here we have it in Philippians 4, verses 2 through 3. It says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so for the first time in this letter, Paul specifically addresses two individuals in this church, Euodia and Syntyche, and he asks them to work through their disagreement. Now, based on what we're given here, it seems like these two women are both very prominent and very highly respected women in their church community. These are people who, have, who, who Paul has known and who have worked with Paul and have demonstrated their faithfulness and their heart in, in, in the gospel and in working together in the gospel. And we don't know what they disagreed about. Paul never mentions what they disagreed about. But whatever it was, the, it's mentioned here, their mention here shows that their disagreement was significant enough for Paul to mention it in a letter that would be read publicly before the entire church. And it also shows that Paul had confidence that they could work through their disagreement. And if they could do that, so can we. Now, how is that? Why is that? And it is because through our gospel, first of all, we are equipped with a common identity. We're equipped with a common identity. The gospel gives us an identity that we share with one another that is stronger than any disagreement we could have. So let me explain with this example. What do you get when you take a wealthy businesswoman, a slave girl who tells fortunes, and a jail guard? It so I know it sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke, um, but what you get when you put these three people together is you get the beginning of a church. You get a church plant. The, and these, these three people that I just mentioned, these were some of the first Christians in Philippi. 
We read about this in Acts chapter 16, how each of these individuals came to faith in the Lord. They made up the, the early church in Philippi. And they were all from, they all had different identities, gender, age, social class, occupation. And yet, they shared a common identity in Christ. And that's just a small picture of what we see in the New Testament. If we read other places, we, we read about men and women. We, we read about the old and young, Pharisees and foreign officials, rich and poor, Roman soldiers and fishermen. All of these people from different backgrounds and walks of life united with one thing in common in the Lord. Now, humanly speaking, this, this would have been impossible, right? But... Um, but in the Lord, a Jew could be united with a Gentile, and a zealot could be united with a tax collector. Now think about that. We think that our world can be divided. We think that we can disagree. These, these zealots and tax collectors, they were like opposite political parties. One who was trying to destroy and tear down the Roman establishment, and the other one who was collaborating with the Romans and collecting taxes to support them. But we have Simon the Zealot and we have Matthew the tax collector, both disciples and followers of Jesus. They came together because they found something that was greater than their individual identities. They came together because Jesus was greater than that and they had this common identity as they followed Jesus. Our culture is obsessed with identity. You might have noticed. Maybe now more so than ever, people are all trying to express their own individual authentic selves. And, it, and as we do that, it's no wonder we're finding it harder and harder to get along. It's so easy to, to divide on matters of race or politics or gender or sexual orientation or, or political affiliation or economic status. I could go on and on and on. There's so many identities that are at work in our world. But the same gospel that brought these people together in the New Testament continues to bring people together today. We're, we're all equipped with a common identity. It doesn't, it doesn't erase who we uniquely, individually are, but it reorders and it reshapes our identity around this, this common identity. So we're still who we are, but we are who we are in Christ, and he is prominent, and that identity changes the way we see ourselves and the way we see one another. But that doesn't mean that everything is always going to go smoothly. Don't expect it's, we're always gonna have smooth sailing. In fact, what it means is that we might more often expect um, disagreements. We, so, so, so church, don't be surprised by conflict. In some ways, Christians might have more opportunity for conflict than the rest of the world because while the rest of the world divides in, into groups of people who are just like them, in the church we have people from all sorts of different groups who are united around this common identity. I know in my experience, maybe some of you can relate, I have I have a number of friends who uh, I really don't have that much in common with. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because um, I, don't know if, 
I would be friends with them, except for the fact that we are both Christians, and that has brought us together, and they become, through our common identity in the Lord, some of my closest friends. As author Rebecca McLaughlin has pointed out, Christianity is the greatest movement for diversity in all of history. Let that sink in. No other movement this world has ever seen has brought together so many different people in such beautiful commonality. So, so don't be surprised by conflict, church, but know that as we face it, we're also equipped to work through our disagreements because we have a common identity that is stronger, an identity that brings us together and unites us like family. So that leads us to another way that our gospel equips us to work through disagreement. And that is that through our gospel, we are equipped with a helping family. In spite of our differences, the gospel unites us like a close, helping family. Now, familial language is the language of closeness, and it's the language of commitment. So it means one thing if I say that I look up to someone, but if I say that he's like a father to me, it means that we're really close. Or it's, it's one thing if I say that, um, that someone is a friend of mine, but if I say that he's like a brother to me, that's a completely deeper thing. So in the church, when we disagree, we, we are disagreeing with family. And we've got, to, we've got to work it out. We can't, you can't just trade in your family for a new one. You can't just bring them in for a refund or an exchange. As much as sometimes you might want to, you're stuck with them and you have to, you have to work through it. And if one or two people in the family need help, the church needs to help them. And so familial language is the language that Paul uses with these Christians in, in Philippians. He opens the letter in, in chapter one by saying, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. And it's really easy to just kind of skip over that part because it's just so familiar. But, but remember that those who share a father are siblings and they're members of the same family. And in Philippians chapter four, in the first, first verse, he, he calls them his brothers and sisters. And seven other places in the book of Philippians, Paul refers to these believers as his brothers and sisters, as his family. This family who is dear to him. And so in Philippians 4.1, he calls them his, his beloved. In chapter two, Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother and his fellow worker and fellow soldier. He also says of Timothy, that Timothy has served with him in the gospel like, like a son with a father. And now in, in, this, in, the, in this verse, in verse two, he is making, in verses two and three, he's making an appeal to the church to be a helping family to these two women, Yodia and Syntyche. Because we all know that in, in any family, there's no such thing as a disagreement that just affects two people. Every family is a, is a system and there's no such thing as just a personal conflict. The whole family is affected and it becomes a family concern. 
Now, we might, we might get the impression that Yodia and Syntyche may have already begun moving in a, in a healthy direction to begin working through and resolving their conflict together. But Paul also encourages them, and he, he also asks a true companion to help them out in their disagreement. Now, scholars have they've speculated on a number of different people who this true companion might be. They've thrown out all sorts of options. There's not really a consensus on who this true companion refers to. But one that I found interesting was, was the idea that um, this is perhaps Paul's way of extending an invitation to, to the other people in the church and saying that um, as they help Yodia and Syntyche, they're demonstrating themselves to be a true companion in the gospel. So just as these women have worked with Paul as his fellow workers, as his fellow laborers, along with Clement, just as, just as Timothy and Epaphroditus served so honorably in the gospel, by helping these women, the Philippians could demonstrate themselves to be a true companion among with these other people he's mentioned. Now, ultimately, of course, we, we don't know exactly who this true companion is. But what we do know for sure is that Yodia and Syntyche were not left to work through this all by themselves. They had a helping family to help them work through this. Now, church, we, we are a family. We also are equipped with a helping family. And no doubt, when you get a group of people together like this, there are going to be some points of tension. There's going to be some disagreements. And maybe, maybe you and the other person, maybe, maybe we're able to work through these things on our own, which is great. But maybe there's going to be times when we're going to need some help, when we're going to need other people to come along and help us. And, that's, and that is okay, because we're not alone to work through these things by ourselves. So consider how, you, how we can maybe bring other people along to help us. Now, there could be many kinds of disputes, um, and there likewise could be many kinds of people who can help. So that doesn't mean that you always have to go to your pastor and help and have your pastor help you work through the disagreement with this other person. It, maybe, maybe so, but there's other, there's other people you could go to who, there's people in our church who are skilled with conflict resolution, who are wise, who can share godly counsel, who can pray with you, people who maybe have, area, who, who have expertise in the areas surrounding the disagreement. Maybe you can bring these people in and they can shed some helpful light on it as they see your situation from a different angle. They can help you work through it. So consider how you can bring those people in. And if, if, you, are, if you are one of those people, consider how you can delicately help in this situation. I'm not saying you need to uh, go around meddling in each other's businesses. Um, but, I, but, but maybe it just means giving someone a gentle, a gentle nudge to do the right thing. And maybe it means asking someone to gently nudge you. So our gospel equips us to work through disagreement because we are equipped with a helping family. But the, the last thing is that our gospel equips us to work through disagreement because we are equipped with the same mindset. 
as we follow Jesus, we take on the same attitudes and posture that Jesus took on. Now what's interesting about this passage is that Paul doesn't get into specifics about what their disagreement was. He doesn't start talking about the Sabbath or sexuality or food sacrifice to idols like he does in other, in other letters. He never addresses the subject, and I think that's because for these two women, it's not what they were disagreeing on as much as how they were disagreeing about it. So it's not to say that truth is of secondary importance, but it is to say that getting along is part of getting it right. And so even if we know what the truth is, and even if we agree on what the truth is, sometimes it's hard to work together still because our attitude, our mindset gets in the way. And so Paul speaks to this. He speaks to Yodia and Syntyche in this way. And what he says to them can easily be lost in translation because many of us maybe have a translation that says, um, I, I entreat them to agree in the Lord. But if you have the NIV or another translation, it might say something like, I, I plead with Yodi and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now this language of the same mind echoes back to Philippians chapter two, where Paul speaks about Jesus. And in Philippians 2, 2 through 5, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to show what this mindset looked like in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the kind of mindset that Paul is talking about to this church to, to have. A mindset that's, that's humble and that is willing to let go of one's own preferences and rights, a mindset that is selfless and is willing to let others go ahead of themselves and seeks the good of others, a mindset that is willing to be made low so that the name of Jesus may be lifted up. This mindset is, is it's not just about the way we think, it's a disposition it's a basic posture we have, a basic attitude that we have towards ourselves and towards one another as we partner together in the gospel. And this is the mindset that allows us to work through our disagreements and difficulties. So how might this mindset work out today? How might it work out with us? Here's, here's, a, here's a couple thoughts. 
One, one way is by remembering that we're not simply striving to get things right, we're striving to get them well. So maybe you're in a disagreement with someone and you are absolutely correct in what you're saying. Maybe the other person is completely, absolutely wrong. Guess what? You still need to adopt this mindset. You still need to be humble. You still need to have this posture that Christ had towards this other person. You still, you, you can't just say the right thing, you have to say it the right way. Now maybe you've been in an argument with someone before and you've come to the point where you realize that, that, the, that they are right and you are wrong and you, you hate it. You can't, you can't stand it because you know that they are right. Your pride is, our pride can get in the way. And now similarly, I've heard it said that if you get into an argument with your spouse, no matter who wins the argument, you've both lost. So this mindset still applies. And, and likewise, when we have this mindset, there can be a million different ways things could work out if you're able to work together. But if we clash with each other, even the best plan even the plan that we both agreed on might not work because we're just butting heads and disagreeing with each other. So no matter what the disagreement is over, we still need to have this mindset. We still need to have this posture of humility and of seeking the good of one another. So this isn't, this isn't like a shortcut or a life hack on how to do conflict resolution and how to make things all better, but it's, it's, it's still gonna be messy sometimes. It's still gonna be difficult. But you won't be able, we won't be able to work through this at all without this mindset. Now the other way that this might work out in our lives today is that sometimes we are just wrong. And in those times we need to humble ourselves and we need to go to the other person we need to make things right. Maybe we've been wrong in what we have said or done or maybe we were right and we just said it or did it the wrong way and so in those cases, we need to go to the other person. We need to humbly repent and make restitution to them. Or maybe we have been wronged and we need to humbly let go of that and let go of our right to take vengeance or to hold a grudge against somebody. Because we, <laughs> it's, it's amazing, we are, we are serving, and we often admit that we are serving a crucified Lord, and yet we are often so concerned that we might not get things our own way. But it's precisely because we are serving a crucified Lord that we can work through our disagreements and we can let go of our own pride. It's because we are following a Lord who not only said and did the right things, but did them and said them in the right ways. Who was entitled to having everything his own way, and yet he humbled himself and he gave up those rights and privileges. And it's because of him, and it's because we are gathered in his name that we can do the same. So we are, we are people from all sorts of cultures, walks of life, but we are united together in Jesus because we are equipped with a common identity. 
And even though we face disagreements, we are also equipped with a helping family to help us sort through these things. And we are, thirdly, finally, we're equipped with the same mindset that allows us to take a posture of humility towards one another. And all of this is from our gospel, which equips us to work through disagreements. It doesn't mean it's always gonna be easy. It means that we're gonna often have to deny ourselves, but as we deny ourselves, as we let go of our preferences and lay down our rights, what we gain is a, what we gain is Christ's, we gain Christ's way of doing things and we gain Christ. Because following Jesus, Jesus' way, his way of self-denial didn't just take him to death, it took him through death and into glory so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we'll have our disagreements, but because of this gospel, we will be able to follow Jesus, work through these disagreements, and show the world that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are, we're sorry for the ways that we often seek our own interests rather than those of one another. We pray that you would help us to, t- to turn from our ways and to follow yours. We thank you for the gospel through which you have equipped us to work through these disagreements. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.